Well, good morning, everyone. Um, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to speak to you today. Um, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 4, if you have your Bibles or your cell phone. Um, chapter 4 is the last chapter in Jonah. Let me go ahead and read to you. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Um, thank you for your grace. We can never thank you enough. Uh, we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather together freely to be able to worship you and uh, learn from your word. Um, I pray that you would speak to these people this morning through your word um, and let your will be done. In your name we pray. Amen. So in this chapter of Jonah, God is showing Jonah that Christians need to love others the way God loves them. Jesus in Matthew 18, 23 through 35 teaches Peter the very same thing. Let's read it. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. 
Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in, the, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. In Jonah chapter 4, God is showing to Jonah that his love is not just for the Israelites. God's love is for everyone. Today, we as Christians need to love everyone, not just who we pick and choose. Maybe you have been neglecting someone in your life because you disagree with their lifestyle, or maybe they have hurt you in the past. So why should we love like God loves them? The text gives us two reasons to love like God. First, we need to love others the way God loves them because love is the will of God. Let's read verses 1 through 5. The words of our text are, But it would displease Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I had said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So the first verse, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So what displeased Jonah and why? You see, at the beginning of the story, God came to Jonah and called him to go and preach to the people of Nineveh, but he refused. Jonah instead went the opposite direction, getting on a boat headed toward Tarshish. So God intervenes. A great storm comes upon the water so violent the crew jettisons their cargo and they begin praying to their gods. They cast lots to see who was, on the who was the culprit of this storm. And these lots land on Jonah. God appoints a fish. Jonah is thrown overboard and swallowed by the fish for three days. Jonah then prays to God and he is released from the fish and then he heads for Nineveh. He preaches in the city that judgment will come in 40 days. Then the people repent and God withholds his judgment. Then we get to chapter 4 but it displeased Jonah. So Jonah is angry because the people of Nineveh repented. This baffled me when I was reading. I remember in my studying of Jonah, why would a Christian be angry at the repentance of an entire city? I would love to walk into a city with one statement, see tens of thousands of people repent and come to Christ. Well, it turns out that there were some issues between the people of Nineveh and Israel. You see, the people of Nineveh were Assyrians. Not only that, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. This is significant because the Assyrians were feared throughout the ancient Near East. They boasted of their military might and brutal treatment of prisoners of war. They were pagans, a wicked people who, not long after the time of Jonah, conquered Israel and forced the Israelites out of Israel into exile. No wonder Jonah wanted the people of Nineveh to perish. And he wasn't just mad either. Look at verse 1. 
But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. The little, literal translation here is, it was evil to Jonah with great evil. There's a play on words here in the Hebrew that we don't see in the English. What this verse is saying is that the evil that was characteristic of the Assyrians described Jonah. He was so angry, he became evil. Look at verse 2. It reads, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. So not only did Jonah disobey God and flee because he hated the Assyrians, but he knew that God wasn't going to judge them. How did he know? Because God showed grace towards Israel. Israel would turn from God when they were prosperous and run to God only when they were in need of help. And yet, God still showed compassion on them. And Jonah wanted that compassion only for himself and for Israel. Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah was so distraught over what God had done for Nineveh that he wanted to die. And interestingly, when Jonah was in the belly of the fish, he prayed that God would save his life in chapter 2. Ironic, isn't it? The first prayer answered as God commanded the fish to vomit him out. But the second prayer was not, as we will see, answered. Aren't you glad God knows what we need better than we do? Let's keep reading. Verse 4. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? As selfish as Jonah was, instead of killing him or rebuking him, God simply asked a question, Do you do well to be angry? The word for angry here means to burn or to be kindled. The question was rhetorical. God is wanting Jonah to realize that his anger is not justifiable. God's love is for all people, and it's a beautiful picture of God's compassion. However, with no reply, Jonah in verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So instead of listening to God, Jonah marches a safe distance out of the city and sets up a booth to watch the city, hoping that by some off chance, either God would see things Jonah's way or the Assyrians would revert back to their old ways so they could receive judgment. Think of it this way. There was a builder, and he wanted to build a new skyscraper in the middle of a city. So he went to his crew and came up with a plan for this building. This building was going to be big and tall, so it needed a strong foundation. So the builder told his crew that the foundation needed to be strong, so he asked, should we use concrete and rebar or wood for the foundation? One of the crewmen piped up and said to the builder, I don't want to use concrete and rebar because it's too big and heavy and expensive. So why don't we use scrap wood from our previous job? And the head builder says, okay, why not? Let's do it. And so they proceed to build this huge skyscraper on top of this scrap wood foundation. And as they build higher and higher, the weight increases and increases until it becomes too much. And the foundation collapses and the whole building comes down, crew and all. In the same way, God's plan 
his will, cannot be accomplished without love as the foundation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is the foundation of God's will. Love for all, not the few. That's what God is teaching Jonah. And we as Christians likewise are called to love everyone. What does that look like? The verses just before the parable of the unforgiving servant, Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone who has harmed me? As many as seven times? Jesus then said, not seven, but 77 times. The verses just after Paul says he is nothing without love in Corinthians 13, he says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And here in Jonah, love is taking the gospel straight to the heart of the very people that hurt you. Is God's love for that person that bullied you in school? Yes. Is God's love for the man that lied and said the car accident you're in is your fault? Yes. Is God's love for the person who went on social media and slandered your family and everything you stand for? Yes. Is God's love for the person that befriended you and fostered a relationship with you only to just when you need them, leave you in the dust once they've gotten what they want from you. Yes. And guess what? Like Jonah, God has chosen you to be the image of his love, a light in the darkness, and he's calling you now. That means going to the one who portrayed you, hurt you, cheated you, used you, and loving them, forgiving them, and most of all, sharing the gospel with them so that they can repent and become a part of the body of Christ right alongside you. Yes, the very ones that hurt you. And so not only do we need to love like God loves because it is his will, we also need to love like God loves because we are no more worthy of his love than anyone else. Let's read verses 6 through 11. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry through the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? 
Now in verse 6 it says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. This is interesting because if you look at verse 5, it says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade. Why would God make a plant grow up to shade Jonah if he is already in the shade? Well, it turns out that the booth Jonah would have set up would have been crude and used brush as a roof. The Assyrian heat was brutal and would have withered the leaves of the brush roof very quickly. Thus, the relief provided from the booth would have been very short-lived. So God here probably waited until the roof would have withered away, allowing the hot sun to beat down on Jonah and then providing the plant to give Jonah the much-needed relief, as we'll see. The language used for the word appointed when God appoints the plant is the same language used in chapter 1 where God appoints the fish where Jonah resided in for three days, indicating God's continuous sovereignty over his creation. So God appoints the plant, and then the text says, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. The language used here for to save him from his discomfort literally means to deliver him from his evil. Jonah's state of mind here is not just unhappiness. Jonah was angry, distraught, depressed, and in the most discontent state a man could be in. And no doubt the brutal 110 degree average temperature was a contributing factor. The next phrase, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Literally, Jonah rejoiced over the plant with great rejoicing. Jonah was not just happy. He was the complete opposite of what he was prior to the growth of the plant. He was so happy he was delirious, which up until this point, Jonah had not expressed this emotion. Not when he was delivered from the fish or when Nineveh repented. He was rejoicing over a plant. Whether it be simply because of the heat or because of the miraculous growth of the plant, he may have thought he found favor in God's eyes. But as we'll see, this happiness was short-lived. Look at verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. God was quick to end Jonah's happiness. God, just as he appointed the fish in the plant, had appointed a worm to destroy the only thing that brought Jonah joy. But a worm is not the only thing God appointed. Look at verse 8. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. It would be one thing to sit in the 110 degree heat with no shade, but to experience a scorcher was fatal. These scorchers common in the ancient Near East caused the temperature to rise dramatically and the humidity to drop rapidly. This hot wind would carry dust particles so full of positive ions, it would affect the chemicals in your brain, causing exhaustion, depression, delusions, and even bizarre behavior. You did not want to catch yourself in a scorcher with no protection. The phrase, so that he was faint, was the same language used in chapter 2, when Jonah describes his life as fainting away. So Jonah probably figured God was finally going to give Jonah what he had been asking for, which is to die. Hence, Jonah prays again in the latter half of verse 8. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. It is a sad picture 
of a man whose lack of understanding of God had driven him to give up. He wanted Nineveh to perish, but God relented. He thought he had found favor in God's eyes with the plant, only to realize that he didn't. He saw his life as a total failure and wanted it to end. But God had a different plan. In verse 9, But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And again, God asked Jonah, what right does he have for his anger? So that Jonah will realize his error. You see, Jonah's misconception here is that he deserved God's favor, not, not the Ninevites. But because God showed mercy on the Ninevites and chastised Jonah, he's angry. And Jonah, still not understanding what God is teaching him, says, yes, I do have the right. And I want to die because you have not given me my right. So God, having great patience with Jonah, replies again. Look at verses 10 through 11. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So now after giving Jonah two chances to realize his error on his own, God now lays it out for him. God says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. God is making it clear to Jonah that his inappropriate pity for the plant, which he then used to be angry against God for the plant's perishing as if the plant was his own. And yet he had done nothing for the plant. The plant was an act of God's grace that Jonah did not deserve. Then to drive home his point, he says in verse 11, And, to, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? God is saying to Jonah, If you think you have the right to pity a plant that I created for you, don't you think that I should pity the people I created in my image? You see, these people of Nineveh, according to verse 11, do not know their right hand from their left. This is a common saying of Jonah's time that can refer to infancy or moral naivety. If it refers to infancy, that meaning the city has 120,000 infants, then the actual population would have been around 600,000. If not, then it just refers to their moral error. The point being... There are thousands of souls at stake, and Jonah has completely disregarded the sanctity of life and throws a fit over a plant. God is saying that he deserves for all, he desires for all of his creation to be saved, and Nineveh has repented. Of course he's going to show mercy on them, even though they don't deserve it. You know, over the years in school, I've done a fair share of group projects, and on occasion, I've landed myself in a group of people who don't seem to care about their grade or mine and don't want to do their share. So what ends up happening is I end up doing the work of however many people there are in the group if I want the A grade. And when it comes time to turn in that group project, everyone else signs their name on that project they had no part in, and they end up with the same grade I do, an A. And it's real easy to get angry and shake my fist and rant about how they did nothing to deserve that A. But then I think to myself, 
you know, they don't deserve that A grade. But did I deserve the breath of life when I woke up this morning? No, not at all. So who am I to keep them from knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ? And who are you to keep them from knowing? That coworker who's been working half as long as you, but he got that promotion and you didn't because he's got friends up the chain, does he deserve it? That guy who sold you a car telling you how great and reliable it was only to find out he patched it up so it would sell and now you have a useless piece of junk sitting in your driveway? Does he deserve God's grace? When you're at your lowest low and you call that friend that you consider to be one of your closest for help and they tell you, sorry, that's not my problem, you're on your own. Do they deserve God's grace? Jesus had 12 disciples that were his closest friends during his ministry. And you know who led the Romans to capture Jesus? Judas, one of the 12. And what did the rest of the 11 do when Jesus was captured? They turned tail and ran. What did Peter do after he so bravely cut off the ear of a Roman soldier when he found out Jesus wasn't going to fight back? He fled and denied Jesus three times. Did they deserve God's grace? No. But what did Jesus do? Did he get angry and strike dead the twelve who claimed to be his closest friends and yet betrayed him? No. What did he do? He hung by nails on a cross and died and rose from the grave. Why? So that we could deny people the hope of Christ we somehow deserve more than them? No. He died and rose so that we could share that hope regardless of what people think, regardless of people's past, regardless of what they are currently doing, and regardless of what they have made do to you. We are Christians. We are transformed. Our minds renewed. We have put off the old self and put on the new. We are recipients of God's grace. We have the creator of the universe on our side. We who can soften the hardest heart mend the broken, heal the sick, humble the arrogant, make rich the poor, look death right in the face and deny its power, and yet we don't take advantage of it. Instead, we deny it. We look at a lost soul and deny God's grace to them because they hurt us. Do they deserve God's grace? No. But neither do you. It may seem unfair, but in reality, it's only because we consider the people that have hurt us. Well, what about the people you hurt? What do they think? Do you really deserve more? No. So why should we love? Because God did. It is his will, and we don't deserve it any more than the next person. God has forgiven you, and now it's your turn to forgive and to love. Christianity is not a get-out-of-hell-free card so that we can exploit others like the unforgiving servant. No, we are God's vessel for sharing his hope and forgiveness and grace with everyone we come into contact with. That's how we are to love, like God loved. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your unending grace. It's because of that grace we have the opportunity to know you. Without it, we could do nothing. We don't deserve it, and we can never thank you enough. 
So, Father, I pray that people leaving this morning um, would feel empowered and convicted and would have a desire to obey you and recognize the fact that they don't deserve your grace. But now that you've offered it to us, we need to take full advantage. So, Father, thank you for your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.